Welcome to the No More Mondays podcast, the show that inspires confident professionals by interviewing people who actually enjoy what they do for work. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with founders, entrepreneurs, and employees who have figured out that special sauce, the magic, the mystery to having No More Mondays. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the No More Mondays podcast. We are super excited you decided to join us for this episode entitled Big Stories Make Headlines. If you could be waist deep in social enterprise, today's guest is exactly that. Kelly Jones wears a lot of hats. She's a program manager with Alos Ventures, the managing director for 68 Capital, and the founder of the Be Nimble Foundation. Somehow, Kelly finds the time to share her focus across these initiatives, all aimed at advancing diversity initiatives across the Midwest's emerging technology scene. If you're looking to make impact, a three-pronged approach is never a bad way to go. Kelly has helped Black, Latinx, and minority entrepreneurs craft their stories and make their own headlines through access to accelerators and startup resources, including capital, training, and mentorship. This next-gen leader has racked up some serious credits, including time at Techstars, Blavity, Givelify, and Hip Hop DX. I'm pretty sure she's about to teach this old dog some new tricks as we dig into her background and success in the professional world. Kelly, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to No More Mondays. Thank you for having me. This is great. I am excited to talk about all these kind of different things that you've got going on plate spinning, because I think that alone is going to be something that people are going to be inspired by is, you know, we've got people on here that have side hustles or they're trying to make transitions. So I'm definitely excited to hear about how you kind of manage all of these. I want to start by just getting a little bit more insight into how this all looks for you. So let's kind of hear your elevator pitch around what you do. What I like to say is that I'm a black tech ecosystem developer. So I focus on getting uh, black, Latinx, other underrepresented or undercapitalized uh, founders and people access to opportunities that will lead to a better quality of life in the technology sector. That's a spot on elevator pitch. Nicely done. I've done that a few times. <laughs> I could tell. Well, well done. Can you now go kind of separate each of the three ways that looks right now and give us almost like a little mini, a little sub elevator pitch on the kind of three ways you create those ecosystems? Definitely. Um, so I like to say it's, it's, it's technically two buckets. Um, so, so one is be Nimble Foundation, which is our social enterprise 501c3. Um, and that's really where we focus around programming. So we have coding boot camps as well as non-technical career training. We place talent. Um, and then we also do accelerators, workshops, seminars uh, to serve Black and Latinx founders. The other bucket, I would say, is our investing arm, which is 68 Capital. And Allos Ventures is actually um, an integral part of that. And so um, that is our opportunity to invest directly into some of the companies that we work with or companies that we find or companies that go through our programs. That's awesome. And so let's talk a little bit more about your specific role within all that framework. So like, what are you doing on a day to day basis? I am considered the the co-founder and the co-CEO of uh, Be Nimble Foundation. And so my day-to-day with Be Nimble is program development, raising money, uh, having tons of, of stakeholder conversations, and really ensuring that um, the events we have, the programs we do um, are well thought out, well fleshed out, and well financed. On the other side, uh, on the fun side, right now, you know, we're, we're wrapping up on closing things out. And, and, and so I'm spending a lot more time just looking at companies, having tons of company meetings, uh, doing due diligence 
investments, you know, determining what our, you know, first, second, third investments may be. You know, once we officially announce the the fund to the public, I'll be shifting a lot more of my time and energy to that side, just because that itself is a full-time job. And, you know, the work with Be Nimble will will still sort of have a dotted line because Be Nimble and 68 Capital, the, the fund is very much connected. It serves as our, again, our pipeline, our funnel. Um, so I'm always going to be actively involved, but it will definitely be more from an oversight perspective. And then also most likely some sort of, of fundraising and, and strategic partnerships space that I've always seen to, to serve in. The world of kind of venture capital, private equity investment, like that whole that whole pipeline that you mentioned is there's so many intricacies to that. It's really it is really, really interesting. I'm curious to hear kind of what is the most rewarding or your favorite part about this work that you're doing right now? You know, I think we all know, you know, the numbers and, and data around uh, access to capital, access to careers, um, the percentage of, of people of color or women that are in tech careers or receiving venture capital funding. Um, but we like to really focus our story less on, you know, the metrics of of what we don't have and, and more of what the uh, opportunity is or what the power is. And the fact of the matter is, you know, diverse companies obviously are, are creating a, a, a better bottom line for companies. Companies, exit multiples are significantly higher. Buying power is in the trillions. You know, missing out on the opportunity to invest in diverse founders, whether it be ethnically diverse or gender diverse, essentially is, in my opinion, missing out on on a huge financial opportunity. And so, if we do not shift our our narratives, our work, our focus into those spaces and being actively invested in those spaces, um, we're going to miss out on a lot of opportunity. I think on top of that, you know, we all know what the potential financial rewards could be too, but we're also still dealing with equity situations, right? Or issues around fairness and um, true diversity and inclusion. And so I also think that that with that, we, we can't always use the same filters or lens when we're looking at company potential, when we're looking at um, the types of talent that we're bringing into companies, we really have to provide a level playing field. I don't know if you've ever seen that meme where it's, you know, the difference between, you know, equality and, and equity, you know, where you see three people standing on, you know, the same size box. The tree, right? It's the tree. Yeah. And one person's taller. And even though they're on the same level of box, there's still people that can't see over the, the, the fence. Right. But but what equity does is for people that need more, they get a higher boost. You know, for people that maybe have a little bit more privilege, those boosts come down. And I think that's what true equity is when everyone is able to perform on the same level playing field. And that is essentially what we're trying to create. It's really exciting because you really are you're an integral part of this big movement that's happening. And, and it's interesting because we've, we've talked about kind of Midwest U.S. tech on the show before, you know, through another previous uh, tech professional who was kind of involved in the, that growing, the early stages of that growing movement. And it's, it's interesting to me that now there's two layers there. One, technology is expanding in the Midwest as a region and, and an up and coming hub, but you're also then driving a big diversity and, and, and kind of equity effort within that that movement, which is really exciting. And I, I love the way that you kind of reinforce and explain why it's important and why there needs to be a focus on it, because there's so much to gain from having a level playing field that really should just exist anyway. That really should exist anyway, right? 
And sometimes it blows my mind that we still have all these conversations, whether it's, you know, a woman or whatever it is. I want to know a little bit more about how you got into this. So let's go. Now let's go. We're talking about today. Let's go backwards and kind of give everybody a little bit of your history, because one of the things I love to focus on here is that we get places via roads we never knew existed. And I have a feeling that you're you have an interesting little journey to tell everybody about. I am definitely an accidental VC. For sure. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I don't think one, I, I didn't know anything about VC, you know, when I was growing up. So obviously it wasn't a career path for me. I wasn't like, I'm going to grow up and be a venture capitalist. Um, yep. Same. I didn't even know about entrepreneurship as a kid. <laughs> my, I said I was going to grow up and be a lawyer. Um, that's what I picked. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. I went to law school. Um, I knew I wasn't going to practice, you know, after my second year, I was like, this is not what I wanted to do. This was not the best decision to make when I was nine. You know, I I decided, you know, I didn't want to practice, finish school, ended up moving to the East Coast, decided, you know, if there was any time to be irresponsible, it was when you just got out of school after being in school your entire life. So I was 23, 24 when I moved out to to New York and my goal was to work in the music industry. And that's what I went to went to go do. I I started as um, head of sales and and PR for a music festival in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. I'm a huge hip hop fan. So, of course, I wanted to be (laughs) surrounded by by rappers and and musicians all the time. And that sort of is what launched me into my first business. I I think our second year of of the festival brought in a pretty significant amount of of sponsorships and and revenue. It, you know, raising money, sales, marketing, anything creative has always been something I've been strong at. And this was during a time where brands were showing up differently. In-person experiential activations with sponsors was a very new phenomenon. And so it was an opportunity for me to get really creative with how I worked with brands and how they showed up to our events. And so I did this really cool concept where I built out a studio on a bus and it ended up making like a mixtape of all the artists that came and performed. And that particular sponsor loved it so much that they asked me to basically join their team and help do all of their events for the rest of the year. And that's what essentially launched my first business, which was an experiential marketing agency. And all of my my clients were tech companies um, by accident. Uh, just so happened to, <laughs> to to turn out that way. And that's really where I got into I, what I would say is the tech industry. The thing I learned later is that the music industry is also just totally the tech industry. It is. It's just, yeah, it just serves a creative purpose. Um, I always tell people, if you've ever been to South by Southwest, anywhere between the years of 2010 and 2015, you've probably seen some of my work. I got to work with Lyft and, and Airbnb and uh, Samsung and Red Bull and Pepsi and all these like huge, huge, huge companies just doing really, really creative work. Towards the, the tail end of that, um, I was working a lot with music tech companies, which really was exciting because then I was in both spaces <laughs> and uh, ended up uh, doing a year long project with with Young Guru, uh, who's Jay-Z's. DJ and engineer. Oh, cool. And he asked me after we finished the, the year long project, did I want to join his team? That was an easy answer for me. Jay-Z is my favorite rapper. And that was me getting closer to Beyonce. And my thought was that I would definitely take that job. And, and that's really where I, I really started to get into the DNI space in tech. I, at that point, had realized I had been a black woman in tech for a really long time. And it was the only one in those rooms most of the time. I didn't realize at that point what was really happening. And then in this moment, I'm like, wow, there's real 
issues happening in this space where we are not included. And then ended up moving to LA, got a job out there and taking a job. Um, and I worked at two venture back media companies. You mentioned Hip Hop DX and Blavity. Those were the two. And then in 2016 is when I decided to come back to Indianapolis after being gone for, <laughs> for almost 17 years and really focusing in on doing this work in our community. You know, a lot of the investments that happen here are B2B SaaS and software enterprise. And that's, you know, we do those kind of investments too. And I think that stuff is all great. But I was working with a lot of consumer driven companies. That's what my background is in, is in consumer. I was working with a lot of media based companies, um, podcasts, you right. You know, all of these things that I'm interested in and I see huge growth and opportunity in that really wasn't being served by the current financial uh, and, and VC uh, firms here. And so I saw an opportunity to really carve that space out. We get to be a consumer driven fund. We get to work really closely with diverse founders and, and really just solve problems, issues and holes that are that I see in, in the work that currently exists. First of all, you bought yourself some sh- serious street cred with name drops like South by Southwest and Jay-Z. And I, I love the like, it got me one step closer to Beyonce. I could just that like brings out this little kid envision. I got a chance to meet her. I met her a couple times. That was cool. Do you mean that I'm now like one degree from Beyonce? You are. You just made my whole life. (laughs) There was something and also if you're under about the age of 30, please go Google mixtape because that was like my whole childhood in the 80s. But there were a couple there were a couple things in there I want to make sure that we highlight and talk about. And then there's one thing I want to kind of pick on and dive a little deeper because I think it's interesting for some conversations I have with people. But I love that you kind of let yourself go from uh, go on a journey and take each opportunity as for where it was and where it then led to the next thing. And in a way, I, I can resonate with this one. You figured out your sweet spot once you were in it. And I think sometimes people try to like create that unicorn situation for your for themselves, but it's not something you can really create. It's a destination along along the path that you're on. I think that's really inspiring and it's exciting because it makes your work meaningful. And that's where we find the satisfaction that negates Mondays. Yeah. You know, I always tell people like my career was a jungle gym, right? Like I think people see it as like, there's a straight and narrow path. You go to school then you graduate and you get your job and then you work that job a long time and then you, you know, retire and, and you know, that's it. And then you find your passion outside of that. Right. And I, I just, one, just could never believe that. Like I knew quality of life for me was going to be rooted in doing something that I loved every every day and doing something that I own. Because I think naturally I've always been a builder. I think naturally I've always wanted, I've always, and I think that's a great thing about law school, right? For me, I always see the hole in something, you know, I always see like, oh, this is great, but like, there's something here that's not working. Like, how do we fix this? You know, I'm a problem solver. And so I, I, I think I always knew I would probably be a business owner or an entrepreneur or some sort of, of, of thing because I, I'm bossy and I don't like, you know, to be managed. You don't like being told what to do. You and I are best, you and I are now best friends now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm a terrible employee. Terrible. Awful. I'm just an awful employee. Um, not that like I, I get things done. I get all everything done. But I'm just like, I like to do things my way. The thing I love the most about my career story and why I love telling it and why I don't like to leave a lot out, because I think people have tried to get me to leave like, oh, maybe you shouldn't talk so much about this. But I, I think it's important for people to see 
like where I started, like what I was thinking I was going to do for the rest of my life and where I ended and why it happened that way. The interesting thing about, I think, how I've sort of managed to get through my career is that every opportunity was like kind of put in front of you. And I always believe that when an opportunity is put in front of you, it's put in front of you for a reason, right? It's either you're supposed to look at it and decide if it's something you should do or shouldn't do. It's definitely a sign. The opportunities that I've been able to have, I've taken them. I've taken advantage of it and I've tried to use it to get myself to whatever I may be that next stage, whatever it may have been. But you found a way that works for you. Like, that's what's cool is you've you've found a way to find the the balance throughout all of that. I go back to something because you actually you actually alluded to it a second ago about how you like to talk about your kind of whole journey and you don't leave things out. And I actually want to go back to the law school piece. Did you end up getting, you know, getting the bar or did you just go to law school and know you were never going to practice as a traditional attorney? Didn't even do it. Didn't even go through the process. Didn't even go through the process. And I, the reason I wanted I wanted to bring that up is because I actually talked to more people than you'd be than you would expect who are in that situation with medical school and law school where they've gone through the education and at that point realized that they didn't want the credentials required that are basically required to practice what the education has given you. But you're a great example of how that is, I'm sure, come into play with contracts and, you know, the regulatory compliance around funds and finance. So you've used that education, just not in the way that we think about using a law degree. I, I 100%. You know, it's, it's something that you can't take away from me. Right. Um, you know, I always thought at the end of the day, like, you know, if none of this worked out. Right. If then I would just, you know, go back and, you know, do the traditional thing. Right. Um, obviously now, like there's like the, the kinds of jobs that are available now are jobs that, that did not exist 10 or 15 years ago. And so you did, I did, you know, at the time that I'm going through all that, I'm not going to age myself, but you know, I'm in the, in the millennial age where, you know, you went to school and you go graduate from school and you take all the loans and get the job and you stay at that job. And most, a lot of my friends from college did that. Um, a lot of my friends from college asked me what I do uh, because they don't know what I do. And that sometimes feels weird, you know, to like, feel like you can't explain to people what you do. It felt, it, I felt judged a lot of times too, especially when I was earlier in the career, when I was just doing like festival stuff or, you know, experiential and people were like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a contractor and, you know, I come up with these ideas and I build them out. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Because you don't do something traditional like, oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a marriage and family law attorney. Like, oh, okay. That qualifies. Yours takes explanation. And I love that you've identified that for yourself because there's some people who aren't as motivated by work and are fulfilled in other parts of life. And I think none of them are better or worse than the other. I just think it's important to know which one you are. And then you design the personal professional balance around that. And one of, and actually this is a good lead in because one of my questions for you is around the balance of like these kind of plates are spinning. Your calendar looks a lot like mine. I would love like a little bit of the practical component of your kind of life around what habits you've incorporated? Like, how do you manage this stuff? What's your routine? You know, what do you do to keep this all afloat? Um, working virtually has not been the, the struggle. Um, the struggle has now been not having those breaks in the day. I've not done the best job. I'll, I'm going to admit this, but I'm making changes. So I want to talk about that too. But I've not done the best job of keeping my calendar clean like I used to. What changes are you making? And so right now what I'm going through is actually sort of a project in, in recalibrating my calendar. Um, how I manage my time mostly is I live by my calendar. It's actually up on my screen right now. 
<laughs> I I live by it. I block I, I block everything. Like I block my task. You know, if it's like work on that, you know, proposal for two hours, I will put on my calendar, work on the blank proposal on my calendar. That's a really, really great tip, by the way, everybody out there. Yeah. Build in. You have to build in work time if you're somebody who ends up with a lot of face to face meetings. That's awesome. So that's the other success. That's the other key to success of when you put systems in place, you actually have to like listen to the system. Um, also, I'm I'm very validated to meet a fellow serial tabber because that is my that is my to do list. And when my husband gets on my computer, he gets mad and he shuts them all, and I freak out because I'm like, but that was all my reminders. <laughs> I needed those. I needed all of them, and I know what is in all of them. That's the funny thing. Like I, I'm looking at, cause I have the screen up. So I, my tabs are open and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that tab for that. I got to go back to do that. And because I have a little bit of ADHD and I have a lot of tabs open, I have to keep myself, I have to find a way to keep myself on task. So I know if I get like a calendar invite that, or a calendar ding that says you should be sending emails for the next 30 minutes, I'm actually going to do it <laughs> because that's what my calendar says. Some new things that I've sort of incorporated into my life as kind of breaks in the day or not really new things, but things that I self I I, in my head know that these are the ways that I take breaks. So one is um, cooking. So cooking has always been a passion of mine. So I, I realize that when I get a little overwhelmed or maybe the anxiety is high, like I'll go try, I'll go make something that takes multiple steps because it forces me to think about something else for an hour or two. Um, you know, this green thumb of mine has really emerged in the last maybe two years. And I have a, <laughs> a whole corner of plants that um, I just enjoy taking care of and, and, and watching grow and thrive. And so that brings me a lot of joy. And then um, I'm really into home renovation and, um, and, and making, not making furniture, but I like buying old vintage furniture and sort of you know, upskilling it, I guess, or upcycling it. At one point in time, we called that upcycling. Upcycling, yeah. I like to upcycle old stuff. I love that. So one of the things that we do, now that we're kind of talking and learning a little bit more about you, we play a little quick game here towards the end of the show on No More Mondays, just to kind of get a little few tidbits about you. So um, it's rapid fire. Um, you've actually already answered a couple rapid fires, so I'm going to have to challenge you to the second answer that comes to mind. Quick first thing that comes to your head. Um, don't worry. It's uh, it's none of them are very, very hard. One of the questions we ask, I usually ask is when you're a kid, what do you want to be when you grew up? And I think we already know the answer to that. Yeah, but do you want to know what the, the first question, the first answer was when I was young? It's so funny. I think it's so funny every time. It lets you know exactly the kind of person I am. Um, I remember uh, telling my mom once that I wanted to be a taxi driver because um, they get paid every time they drive somebody somewhere. Yeah. You know, that's a sound logic as a kid. I really thought it was. I was like, that is the that is a true entrepreneur. All you gotta do is drop people around and give you money. That is that sounds like the job I want. Yes. So you're a fellow foodie. What what food are you craving right now? Ah, oh, I am a foodie. Um, what day is it? It's Thursday. So special treat to myself on Fridays is I always order Thai food. So um, I think I want pad Thai. With shrimp and chicken. Oh. <laughs> I want pet I'm hungry. for sure. I might order that today. I might have now I'm hungry. <laughs> now I'm hungry. Uh, yeah, it's, you can just pretend it's Friday. What was your favorite childhood TV show? Oh, I've had so many. I'm a TV junkie. First one that comes to mind is Saved by the Bell. 
Oh, okay. Quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna railroad the rapid fire really quick. There is a there's a new documentary on Netflix called Kid Ninety, and it's Soleil Moon Fry. Punky Brewster. I love Punky Brewster too. That was the first one I was thinking about saying. It's her video. It's her, basically her video doc. She video documented her whole childhood stardom. Really? And it's like, if for people our age, you have to watch it. Okay. Speaking of the nineties, what's your favorite nineties band? This fun, this answer is going to be really funny. It's Wu-Tang Clan. I knew, I knew it was going to be a rap group <laughs> as soon as you went into the hip hop. Yes. The, I love it. The last answer to that question was Fleetwood Mac. We could not be further apart, but I love them both. It's definitely Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> Other food question is what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Um, okay. So I'm weird about ice cream. Uh, I don't really care for it that much. Okay. So I like uh, the Talenti Roman Raspberry Gelato, or I'm sorry, the Sorbetto. It's so good. I love Sorbet. Anything, anything. The Talenti is like, it's, yeah. And then you have a cool container to use for a million other things. Of course, this is a show about Mondays. So the last question of rapid fire is always, what's the first word that comes to mind when I say Monday? Easy. Elaborate on that. I keep my Monday meeting free. I don't, you know, I think Mondays are associated with like kind of um, anxiety and stress, right? You're thinking about like, oh my God, the week is starting. Got to get things done. It's Monday. And I actually like to do the opposite. I feel like I ease into my week better when I keep my Mondays really light. Um, I prepare for my week on Sundays. And then Monday, I try to like really think through like, what are the goals for this week? What are the targets? Um, I do have one, usually one meeting in the morning, but everything else I keep, keep it open because I don't like to feel overwhelmed on a Monday. <laughs> and it kind of feels like a three-day weekend. I think I like a three-day weekend feeling more than I like <laughs> like a longer weekend feeling. Like, like- that is a great, that's a great tip. You know, it's, that's, that's almost, it falls align, align with, we had another guest who actually front loads her week and does her heavy lifting like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that as she gets tired, the week starts to fall off. And in a way, I think that kind of supports it because you're kind of, you're forcing the week, you're forcing the week to kind of, you managing the week instead of like, the week managing you. I love that suggestion. I think it'll be a new movement, meatless and meetingless Mondays. Mm-hmm. It works for me. I like, cause I feel like I'm like, even if I feel prepared, I feel like I'm not prepared cause I haven't really gotten into the week really well, but I feel like by Tuesday, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm at tip top shape. You're in the flow. I'm in there. I'm there. Totally. And then Friday, you know, I keep, it's actually a busy day, but it's mostly like one-on-ones and in more sort of like touch base meetings. So it feels like I'm having a great like recap to the week too. Yep. And the fun and the fun conversations at the end of the week, which is really cool. This is so Kelly, this is so fun. You and I could have like a five hour podcast of talking about all of the things. I'm a talker. <laughs> Well, but you and I like to, we like to talk about the same thing. So um, as we kind of like start to wrap this up, I want to first let everybody know kind of where they can find you and follow this super cool journey that you're on. Um, so I'm everywhere at Kelly Nicole. It's Kelly with an I, Nicole with a K. Um, so that makes it really easy for me to find. And then um, Be Nimble and 68 Capital can be found in the same way. It's Be Nimble Co., I believe, on everything and 68 Capital on everything. And as always, we usually send, we kind of funnel people to LinkedIn. Kelly and I are soon to be connected there. So you can find her as part of my network. And the last thing that we always do on No More Mondays, even though there are about 97 good nuggets of advice and tools and resources and inspiration in our conversation, what is your just biggest piece of advice 
to help listeners as they kind of work towards a, a more fulfilling career and craft their story? It's still my favorite quote, uh, and it's from Richard Branson, and it's that successful products spring from uh, the want to make people's lives better. And so I feel like at the root of all the work that we do, the goal is to make other people's lives better. And that's kind of what motivates us to to keep going. And so I think if other people think about the things that they do every day, projects they take on, you know, the businesses they think about, always think about how is that improving other people's lives? Um, and I think that it ensures that you're building the correct things for the correct reasons. I 100% agree. When you serve others, you are then served and returned. Kelly, thank you so much for serving all of us today. This has been an amazing conversation. I have loved having you as a guest on No More Mondays and part of the No More Monday movement. And as always, we love hearing from people who are enjoying what they do for work and in life. And you are definitely no exception. Until next time, No More Mondays family, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star rating so we can continue to inspire confident professionals everywhere with amazing stories like Kelly. If you'd like to leave us comments, feedback, or drop a guest suggestion, please visit us online at nomoremondays.info. Thanks for listening to this episode of No More Mondays. We hoped you grabbed some great insights to help you improve your professional satisfaction. Please visit us at Apple iTunes and give us a rating so we can continue to offer you awesome interviews and content each week. No More Mondays. New episodes drop every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com. That's careerbenders, B as in boy, S as in Sam.com. This is your host, Angie Callen, signing off. Until next week, when we chat with another inspired, confident professional.